Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Of course, He's talking about Jesus. How many of you are thankful for Jesus? How many of you this morning thank the Father for Jesus? For sending Jesus? Praise God. Well, Christmas is a celebration of the greatest gift that was ever given in the realm of human experience. And here in this particular text, the Apostle Paul refers to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ as being the greatest gift ever given. So great that words are incapable of articulating what it meant when the Father gave Jesus. And that's why he says words that are unspeakable. God's gift is unspeakable. Words cannot possibly express what God did for us in Christ. The incarnation is something that took place in the realm of human experience. We're aware of that by reading the Gospels. But to accurately describe it, to express it, to utter it is beyond human possibility. And that's why he said it's unspeakable, unutterable, inexpressible without articulation. Well, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, I believe we have an idea as to why that's so. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles... Believed on in the world and received up into glory. And I want you to notice that one of the great mysteries of godliness is the mystery of the incarnation. For he says here, God was manifest in the flesh. That is referring to the incarnation. And he says, without controversy, great is this mystery of godliness. Well, why is it a mystery? Well, I guess you could say it this way. To properly express it, one would have to explain how the Ancient of Days became a babe in Bethlehem. How is that possible? That one who calls himself the Ancient of Days became a babe in Bethlehem. How is it that the one whose voice thunders in the heavens can be found crying in a cradle. It's beyond expression. It's unthinkable. 
Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up? His train filled the temple. His voice was like thunder. But now here he is crying in a cradle. How does one articulate that? I guess we'd have to explain how the one who gives to all meat in due season can find nourishment at his mother's breast. How is that possible? The one who provides meat, who gives all things, can be nourished in such manner. To explain this mystery of godliness, one would have to explain how the one who is clothed with majesty and honor can be found in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. What a difference. He's clothed with majesty and honor, but on that day he's found in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. We'd have to explain how the one who is the maker of all flesh is now made of flesh, taken upon himself the form of flesh. The Creator took part in His own creation. The one who created the world now walks on His own creation in a physical body that He made for man to inhabit. And ultimately, one would have to be thorough in his explanation of how God Almighty Himself can possibly become a man. Is that possible? Anybody here want to explain in full detail the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Anyone here want to articulate fully what took place on that day? You see, it didn't just happen for a few short years. God didn't just become a man inhabiting a human body, using it for about 33 and a half years, and then dying, and that was the end of it all. When Jesus was born, when Christ was incarnated, incarnate Christ. He became one with man forever and ever throughout eternity. That's called this mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. He became identified with humanity. And so therefore, Jesus is more than a man. Jesus, according to God's word, is the God-man. If you'll turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 1. And verse 1, you'll see the revelation of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Here it refers to Jesus as the Word. Being with God, being God Himself. I've been saying for the last couple of weeks with regard to salvation, one cannot be saved without believing on the deity of Jesus Christ. In the society in which we live, we have many views and concepts of Jesus Christ. Even those who supposedly proclaim to be Christians as such deny in our day the deity 
of Jesus and the virgin birth. I recall one time, and please listen when I say this and do not be offended in any way. I believe we're living in the days that we can't be evasive. We've got to be direct and to the point. I remember sitting in my own office in Midland. I remember sitting across from me an individual who was a Presbyterian minister who sat there looking at me full of drugs and alcohol and everything else and told me face to face, this is not hearsay, this is face to face. He said, when I went into seminary, I believed in God and in miracles. After I went through seminary, I came out no longer believing in God or no longer believing in miracles. I don't believe in the virgin birth anymore. I was taught that it's just, just, you know, just something there. It's a myth. It's just all in the Bible. And you've got to teach it. You've got to preach it. Because it's a part of, of what we believe in as far as faith is concerned. But there's no reality to it. That miracles aren't really real. You know, they're all in there. But you, you can't believe it all. And that fellow finally looked at me, scribbled eyeball, and said, After going through all that seminary and all that teaching, I have concluded this one thing. I'm an atheist. There's no God. That's in a Presbyterian seminary. Whew. I tried my best to convince him, but he never came back. We've got to be direct and pointed, beloved. There are those that say they believe on Jesus, but you've got to be aware of wolves in sheep's clothing. If they don't believe on the deity of Christ, they are none of his. And you can put on a robe and you can stand behind a pulpit on a platform. And you can talk about him and his wondrous works and read all the beautiful examples and testimonies of his love and grace. But yet, on the inside, there's no reality because you don't believe on his deity. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh. Jesus is God's inexpressible gift. The Word made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's talking about Jesus. John is revealing to us that the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was not just another natural birth. That babe that was born in Bethlehem there in the manger was not just a life that began to exist at the moment of natural birth. He is stating the fact that Jesus Christ pre-existed with the Father from the beginning. He was the Word made flesh. Who dwells among us. And if anyone is to believe on Jesus and be saved, that person must believe in the deity of Jesus Christ and what is called the incarnation or the hypostatic union. That is the union of deity with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. It is a miracle that is beyond comprehension. It is a miracle that is inexpressible, unspeakable, unutterable, one of which we are unable to articulate accurately. If we try to reason it out, our reasoning faculties would shut down because we are incapable of grasping such depth 
of reality. No, we must believe from the heart that when God said the Word was made flesh, at that moment a hypostatic union took place. Deity, humanity coming together to be one forever throughout eternity. We must believe that Jesus Christ is Jehovah God manifest in the flesh. Otherwise, there is no salvation. Listen to his claims in John's Gospel, chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8. Not only is it revealed to us through the beloved John in his writings, but John also declares that these words were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In John 8:58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I didn't just begin to exist there when I was born in Bethlehem. I pre-existed with the Father from the beginning. I partook in all the acts, the creative acts that brought into reality all of creation. Abraham saw my day and was glad. In other words, he had a conference with Abraham way back there in Old Testament times. Revealing himself and revealing the gospel message to Abraham. And they questioned those words that fell from the master's lips. How in the world can you say that you saw Abraham, that you spoke with Abraham, that Abraham saw you and saw your day? How can you make such claims? And Jesus says, before Abraham was. And he uses those two beautiful words. I am. The same words used to describe the Almighty who appeared before Moses in the burning bush, saying, when they ask who sent you, say, I am sent you. Jesus was not beating around the bush. I had to do it. He was being pointed, direct, accurate, clear, concise, distinct. Jesus said... Before Abraham was, I am. I am the Almighty God. I am Emmanuel, God with us. Deity in human form. He didn't stop there. John 16, verse 28. If anybody asked you, where'd you come from? What would you say? Sometimes parents get a little bit upset or maybe tentative, rather, when their little ones come up and say, Mommy, Daddy, where'd I come from? And they think, uh-oh, here we go. We've got to start. Can't believe it's happening already. Here they are, little Johnny, little Mary, asking, where'd they come from? Get a little panic-stricken there, and you start to you know, read up on some material with regard to explaining childbirth and all that, because your child wants to know where he or she came from. And you sit down one night and you begin to discuss this and, you know, you're starting to really get into it, heaven. You think you're doing okay and finally your little one stops and says to you, Mommy, Daddy, you don't understand me. Johnny told me he came from Cleveland. Where'd I come from? It's a matter of communication. Someone asked you where you came from, what would you say? I was born in Youngstown, Ohio. 
in John 16, 28, Jesus said, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. You can't find one city in any country or state where they will record the fact that Jesus Christ's origin was there because he came from the Father. He came from the glory world. And there's no record here other than the record of the Word of God that lets us know that. There's a record of his birth there in Bethlehem. But, beloved, that's not where he originated from. He says, I came from the Father, from his bosom. I am come into the world. I will leave the world. I will go back to the Father. These are the claims of the Son of God. Now, beloved, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is who he says he is, the Son of God. No one makes those claims. Beloved, makes those claims and lives before the Jews. Unless they can support those claims. And Jesus did that by resurrection from the dead. And then we find in John chapter 17 and verse 5, Jesus saying, Oh, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That doesn't sound like a man that was born yesterday. Sounds like to me someone who existed, pre-existed with the Father from the very beginning. In a state of glory that's beyond, once again, our comprehension and understanding. Who left the glory world to come to this world for a purpose and intent in the will of God. So Jesus here is making statements and claims that no other man ever made. Buddha never claimed to be anything more than a man. Muhammad never claimed to be anything more than a prophet. Moses said, I'm a man. Confucius Great sayings, but I'm a man. And when Paul and Barnabas, after a miracle that was wrought, was exalted and lifted up by the people said to have been gods that came down from the heavens. They said, no, we're not gods. We're men like everyone else. But we know God. You see, Jesus claimed to be more than a man. More than a prophet. More than a good example to pattern your life after. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be Jehovah God manifest in the flesh. Now, either he was a liar or a lunatic. Someone who went off the deep end. Or he truly is who he says he is. The Son of the living God. You see, beloved, we can't put Jesus in the same class with Buddha. Muhammad, Confucius, or, or anyone else as far as that goes. Because he's the God-man. Once again, do we understand when we celebrate this Christmas Eve and what we are really celebrating? We're reminded of the fact that God the Creator walked on His own creation. There on the shores of Galilee, taking full control over all the laws of nature demonstrating his creative ability out on the boat when he told the wind to cease and the waves to stop. He proved that he was master even of death, hell, and the grave when he told Lazarus to come forth. And he that was bound came forth 
still in grave clothes, loosed by his disciples. Jesus claimed to be the God-man, and he supported his claims by his works. And even though human reason may reject the possibility of a virgin birth, I believe, beloved, rather than discrediting what has been revealed to us in the Scripture, it's our responsibility to see to it that we seek to believe it and to be like Mary. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Chapter 1, rather. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Mary was a woman of great faith. Mary was someone who allowed the Word of God to bypass her human reasoning faculties. She was one who was not going to take enormous amounts of time to sit down to try to figure out the possibility of a virgin birth. Of conceiving within her womb a child apart from human generation. She took it upon herself to... Receive enough information from the angel that appeared to her representing God to collect her thoughts and voice what her heart believed. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 37, after it was told to her by the angel that she would conceive within her the Son of the living God, whose name would be called Jesus, who would be great, called the Son of the Highest, the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. She only asked how this could possibly be done apart from natural generation. And the angel explained that the spirit of the living God would hover over her and come upon her, and that thing that she would conceive in her womb would be the Son of the Most High. And rather than taking enormous amounts of time to try to figure it out through reason, beloved, it doesn't hold up to reason. You can't explain it. If you try to explain it, you'll lose your reason. You can't explain it. It's beyond human comprehension. If you discredit it because you can't explain it, you'll lose your soul. I'll lose my soul. Why? Because apart from the deity of Christ, apart from the virgin birth, there is no salvation. Salvation is not based on the fact that he was a good man. It's based on the fact that he was the God-man who came in the form of flesh to assume man's liabilities and responsibilities and duties before God to take upon himself the sin of all mankind and pay the supreme sacrifice of his life to redeem mankind from the fall. And unless one believes that from the heart, there is no salvation. Deity suffering for humanity. In the person of Jesus Christ. And what did she say? I'm not going to try to explain it with my mind. I'm not going to try to discredit it through human reasoning. She made this declaration of her faith. For with God, nothing shall be impossible, says the angel. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. She, in other words, said in her heart, Let God be God. And what God says is possible, regardless of what human reasoning says. What God says can be done, whether or not I'm able to explain it with my finite mind. What God says will be 
regardless of human reasoning. So be it unto me, not according to what man can reason out. Be it unto me, not according to what man can figure in his finite brain. But be it unto me, according to the word of the living God. And the word became flesh. As the Spirit of God hovered over her, she became pregnant. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Jehovah God in her womb. That is beyond expression. That is beyond comprehension. That is beyond explanation. Our minds want to explode to try to figure something like that out. But let God be God and believe it and maintain the heart attitude of Mary. God's inexpressible gift. Turn with me, if you would, please, now to John's Gospel in chapter 3. Since Christmas is a time of giving, and since we are mostly involved in giving gifts to one another, I believe it's important that we look to the Word of God to discover why Christmas time is a, gift, is a time of gift giving. And how that attitude of giving began to find its place in the heart of man. I believe that it doesn't originate with man himself. I believe the idea originates with God. If we'll look at some of these verses of, in, of Scripture in the Bible, I believe we'll discover some different dimensions of God's inexpressible gift that He gave to mankind when He gave Jesus Christ on that day. In John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 16, of course, a text that we're all familiar with, we read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our first dimension of this inexpressible gift that God gave to mankind is found right here in the beginning of the verse. For God so loved the world. God's love caused Him to give. Every gift that is given must be inspired by and motivated by love. God so loved the world, He gave Himself. He gave the gift of His Son. He gave the gift of life. He gave unconditionally to all mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. You will notice in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, we read, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. Christmas time is a time of gift giving and sharing what you have with others because of the fact those who have been born again have been born of this unconditional love. And we have within our hearts a desire to mimic or copy our Father who gave birth to us and continue to love those people that are close to us through gift giving. But if you think about it, and if you'll follow closely with me, you will discover that the gifts that are given, that are of most importance, are not material gifts. The gifts that are given are gifts that are spiritual. 
that are beyond the realm of sight. You may not see it, but yet you experience it. And beloved, it's my desire to have every one of us get back to a place where we're giving more than just material gifts during this time of year or any time of year. We are giving something that is inspired by and motivated by love that originates in the heart that's been recreated by the love of God. It is an expression of love from the heart. God Almighty was not under any obligation to redeem mankind when he fell. But the Bible says that he was so rich in mercy that even though man rebelled and man violated his will, he was willing to still provide for mankind redemption. And so God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son so that anyone and everyone who believes on him could receive the gift of life. He doesn't want one person to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And so God was motivated and inspired by love. And in Romans chapter 5, hold your place there and look at that one with me. Romans chapter 5, we read that God desired to demonstrate and display, commend to us His great love for us. In verse 8 it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, an unconditional love, in that while He, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ dying for us was a demonstration of God's love for us. And God wanted to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt His great love for all mankind. And so the greatest gift that is an inexpressible gift a gift that is beyond words is the gift that's been inspired and motivated by love. It's the gift that God gave to us, the gift of His Son in the person of Jesus Christ so that we would have life. We also discover that another dimension of this gift that God gave is the fact that it's a universal gift. Go on back to John 3.16 and you discover this. God so loved a certain sect, a certain group, a particular nation. God so loved one organization. No, God so loved the world. This gift that God gave in the person of Jesus Christ, His becoming the God-man upon this earth is a universal gift. Do you ever try to find that one right thing? To give to one person that will fit that person's life. You may run yourself ragged to try to find the perfect, perfect gift for your wife, for your husband, for your mother, for your father, for your children, whoever. Whatever the case may be. But you see, God didn't have to go shopping. He gave one gift, one universal gift, that forever affects the life of every person born in the world, whether or not they ever receive that gift. You see, the gift that God gives that is inexpressible, that is beyond words, is universal. Regardless of race, nationality, age, sex, or condition, that gift can be received by anyone and everyone. For He said, whosoever will 
Let them come. That they'll not perish, but have everlasting life. The third dimension of that gift we discover is this. God's gift is a personal gift. It wasn't a thing that He gave. When God gave this inexpressible gift, He gave the gift of Himself. God gave His own life in the person of Jesus Christ. A very personal gift. We may give things that try to reflect the attitude of our hearts. But how many of you have told your loved one, here's a gift I want to give to you that expresses my love for you. But you recognize when you give it, it falls short of accurate description. Oh, I love you so much, honey. I want to give you this ring. Or I love you so much, honey. I want to give you this dress. I love you so much, son or daughter. I've given you this. It doesn't matter if you give your children... The world with a fence around it, it still cannot accurately express the love that is in your heart. Words fall short. It is so hard for us to communicate our love. And there's only one way that we can really do it. And beloved, I believe so often we fall short of this. The way we really demonstrate love, whether it's this time of year or throughout the whole course of our lives, every day of the year. Is to give the gift of self to your husband, to your wife, to your children, to your friends, to your, all your family members and friends and associates. I give the gift of myself. In the society in which we live, it's hard to find a close friend. Those who really care. Those who won't stab you in the back. Those that will just look you eyeball to eyeball and say, look, I love you. I care. I'm here. I won't talk about you. I'll stand by your side. I'm going to give you myself. My integrity and all that I stand for is yours. If need be, I'll lay down my life for you. Who gives that kind of a gift? Not too many people. Think about it. A ballpoint pen just doesn't say the same thing. When you say, honey, I give you my integrity. I'll stand by your side. I won't cheat on you. I won't turn my back on you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'll stay with you. To death do us part. I give you my life. God gave us Himself. Why do you think relationships are falling apart in society today? Because no one is willing to give self. But God did. He so loved the world that He gave us the most personal of all gifts. Oh, but brother, you don't understand. I gave my wife all these different things. And how often we hear that in a, in a divorce court. I gave her all these different things. But did you give her yourself? That's what's most important and vice versa. Did she give him herself? God's gift is inexpressible. We're talking at a human level, but can you imagine this unconditional love being poured out upon those that hate Him, that are wicked, that rebel against Him? But yet He says, I give you Myself, My integrity, all that I am, all that I stand for, My very being, My existence. See, some don't know this in Christian circles, beloved. Do you know that if Jesus would have bowed His knee to Satan, that God Almighty would have been defeated? 
And Satan would have been the ruler, the eternal ruler of all things. Did you know that? If God would have failed through Jesus Christ, Satan would have ruled. He thought he could do it. He tried to pull it off. But I'll tell you what. Jesus was greater. Thank God for Jesus. Hallelujah. We also find another dimension of this gift. It was costly. In our society, Christmas has become very costly. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, I'll just buy the kids a pair of tennis shoes. You better have two weeks pay. I don't mind giving you my age, but I remember that you can buy a brand new car for around, well, at least one was $1,800. Others that were, of course, the bigger models were like $3,000 and you bought yourself a brand new car. Try to go to a car dealership with $3,000 and say, I want to buy a brand new car. They'll say, well, that's a good down payment. Christmas gifts become costly. But the initial gift that really demonstrates what Christmas is all about was the most costly of all gifts. In 1 Peter 1.18, we have that revealed to us. I guess we're going to have to get it into the rest of this tonight because I really want to talk about what gifts we should be given at Christmas. And I think I'll have to pick that up tonight. I want to first focus in on this aspect of it, God's giving and what He did for us. In 1 Peter 1.18, we read that We've been redeemed. When God gave Jesus to us, it was a costly gift. What it meant was humiliation. That God Almighty would have to leave the highest of heights and enter into the deepest of depths. He would have to leave the glory realm and the glory world, empty Himself and come upon this earth and become a man and then go a step further down taking upon himself the sin of the world and paying the awful price for man's penalty and high treason. It was something that cost him humiliation, suffering, shame, and rejection. But in verse 18 we read, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Excuse me. 118. I was reading another verse that was just as good. <laughs> For as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. Everybody say this with me. For me. Why was, was He manifested? He was manifested for me. He was manifested for you. He came for us. So God gave the gift of His Son, and it cost Him plenty. He had to suffer the just for the unjust, for the sin of all mankind. God gave His Son the most costly of all gifts. It meant humiliation, suffering, shame, and rejection. It meant the one who was just would die and, and pay the penalty for the unjust. And he did it for us. He was manifest for us. Every single one of us. It cost God a whole lot for us to receive that first gift. 
The fifth thing we discover is the fact that it was a redemptive gift. And you see that in the same text. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. All the money in all the world could never buy redemption. And those that say, if I'm good enough, I can be redeemed. Oh, God will save me. God won't send me to hell. You can have all the silver, all the gold in all the world. And you can give it all to the poor and give your body to be burned. Yet you are nothing without the blood of Jesus Christ. This gift is a redemptive gift. The Bible says when, when the disciples of Jesus asked him who then can be saved, Jesus emphatically said, with man this is impossible. If it were not for the incarnation of Jesus Christ, man would be incapable of experiencing eternal life. He would spend his eternity in the place that was prepared for Satan and his angels that followed him. In everlasting damnation. But because God so loved the world, he paid the price of our redemption. He himself suffered for our redemption. It was a redemptive gift. One that cost him not all of his finances... But one that cost him his very life. He gave Jesus. And also we discover that it's an all-inclusive gift. And I want you to see that with me in the book of Romans. This is, I'll tell you what, you have a lot of favorite scriptures. This is one of my favorite scriptures in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. You talk about the perfect gift to give to someone. Beloved, every child of God has a perfect gift to give to someone else. It's not a ballpoint pen. It's not a charm. It's not a bracelet. It's not a, a new suit of clothes. It's not a dress. It's not a hat. It's not a pair of gloves. It's not boots. The gift that we have to give and offer to the world is called the free gift of Jesus Christ. The gospel message that gives the gift of life to those that do not possess it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, we read that this gift is an all-inclusive gift. It entails anything and everything that God has. He that spared not his own son, but delivered it up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In Christ, the believer has all things. God gives one gift, the gift of himself. It provides anything and everything a human being needs. That will secure his present life and also his eternal destiny. When God gave Jesus, he gave all that man needs. Anything and everything, it's an all-inclusive gift. When it comes to Jesus, look at John chapter 15 and verse 13. This first gift that is beyond words, that is beyond description. This first gift that is inexpressible is the gift of God to Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus followed through with that same unconditional love and explains to us what this love is all about, what this gift is all about. In John 15 and verse 13, from the perspective of Christ, Christ's gift to the world was the gift of Himself. In John 15, 13, He stated, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He said, I am come that I would lay down my life for my friends. And once again, this is not talking about a material gift. 
Not something you can buy at a store to give to somebody, but it's talking about the gift of self. He gave Himself. He laid down His life. And beloved, isn't it fitting that in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, since John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't it also fitting that in 1 John 3, 16, that says that we also, because He loved us and gave Himself for us, ought to lay down our lives for one another? The greatest of all gifts that we can give to husband, wife, children, father, mother, associates, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord, the greatest of all gifts is found right here. Jesus says, I'm laying down my life for you, my friends. That's what I'm giving. Oh, beloved, do we understand what that would entail? Do we understand the effect of such a decision to lay down my life? If the husband would lay down his wife for the wife, if the wife would lay down her life for the husband, if the husband and wife would lay down their lives for the children, so many young people out there right now are experiencing terrible happenings and tragedies in life and calamities due to the fact that husbands and wives, mothers and fathers are not laying down their lives for their children. They want to be still independent. They want to go on with their own lives and do their own thing and pursue their own pursuits. You know, and fulfill their own dreams. You should have done that before you had kids. You should have done that before you had children and brought them into this world in which we live. This world that is in bondage to fear. Ugly, that's dark and deep-seated in sin. How will a child find its way to God unless the mother and father direct them and show them the way, the greatest gift a mother and father can give child is the gift of self. I lay down my life for you. That's the, the pattern to follow according to God's plan. We're getting into some of the things that we should give, but it's, it's all here. Jesus says, I lay down my life for you. Look at some of these other verses real quick. We could do this. John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 11. These things are so meaningful, beloved. Don't celebrate Christmas without it. Let it be ever written upon the table of our hearts and expressed through our lives. Would to God that we would all get into the flow of this divine love and start laying down our lives. I'll tell you when churches fall apart, beloved. You know when churches fall apart? When the people stop laying down their lives for each other. When everybody goes to church says, and says, what can I get out of this place? What can the church do for me? No, no, no. It's when God's people come together and they say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to serve you with my life. And it begins to, 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 to get catchy. Everybody catches hold of the same thing. And they start loving each other and living for each other. Laying down their lives to help each other, considering the other and esteeming them more highly than themselves. That love continues to flow and it brings continuity. It brings a stable foundation. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, in verse 10, verse 11 rather, let's read 10 and 11. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
In verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Notice, every time Jesus is re- he's emphasizing Time and time again, he's laying down his life. And in verse 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself, on my own accord, of my own free will. I choose to lay down my life for all humanity, and no one is going to convince me to do otherwise. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. And this commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus' concept of the greatest gift that anyone can give is the gift of self, the gift of laying down His life to fulfill the cause of God, to fulfill the purpose and plan of God. And beloved, that's what this Christian life is all about. People like you and me laying down our lives for our friends, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it starts within the framework of the Christian home. And when it starts there, it'll begin to spread like wildfire. People will want it. People will envy it. What to God my husband will lay his life down for me? What to God my wife would do the same thing? What to God our children would respond the same way? That's what everybody's dream is. That's what everybody really wants deep within their heart. What else does Christ give in this great gift that is beyond words? It's found in John 14 and verse 27. This I'm going to give for my wife. I believe that um, she's asked for these gifts long enough. And in actuality, it's just something that I don't think any one of us has the ability to provide. But it's always been her heart's desire. If I ever ask her, honey, what do you want for Christmas? It's always two things. Peace and quiet. (laughs) Those two things. Her heart's desires. They represent her heart's desires. Well, listen to this. Christ gave his life. He laid down his life to give what? The gift of life and also the gift of peace. Look at John 14 and verse 27. Right here we read, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled in a troubled world. Neither let it be afraid in a world of fear. And what Jesus is saying, that because He laid down His life for us, He in turn now can give to us, see this is all inclusive, in this gift is the gift of peace. The gift of peace. He'll bring peace to our hearts. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And also, we live in a world of trouble, in fear, yet our hearts are not troubled because the peace of God rules in our hearts. And that peace came to us, not by the world, but through Jesus Christ. A gift beyond words. Not a watch, not a clock, not a briefcase, but peace. And for rest, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, we all should know the verse. Matthew's Gospel. Quiet, peace and quiet. Quiet being rest. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, we read, Come unto me, in verse 28, All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what he is saying is you'll not only find peace, but you'll have that quiet rest in your life that comes only from him. That's why he came. And then finally we discover that if it were not for Jesus, none of us would be able to receive the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. He told his disciples to go tarry and wait. And there's going to be outpoured unto your lives the gift of the Holy Ghost. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And so also through Christ we discover that because of the gift that God gave that is beyond words of description, we can have all these all-inclusive things added to our lives. They're not material things, are they? Eternal life is not material. Peace is not material. Joy is not material. All these things are inward. They're spiritual by nature. And all those things become ours in this world in which we live. So that we can in this world become a shining light unto those that are still living in darkness. And they can see in us the expression of God's inexpressible gift. They can see the light of God's grace and mercy and, and peace and joy that we have. Glad tidings within our hearts. And you know, that gift giving didn't stop right there with, with God himself and the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to t turn here and we'll close right here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And then tonight we're going to talk about some other things that can be our gifts to give back to God. If we're truly celebrating the incarnation, I don't even want to say the birthday. That's just the day he was incarnated. The incarnate one, Jesus Christ. That's the day of his incarnation. We can call it birthday in the natural, but in actuality, it is an incarnation or a hypostatic union. That's what we're celebrating, this hypostatic union. Because, you see, he pre-existed with the Father from the beginning. Then we can better understand how to return the favor and give back to God gifts. And if you ever read through these things in this light, you'll begin to discover that many gifts were given when the Savior was born. That symbolize some things that we should be given also, giving back. To him as a result of his giving to us. When someone gives you a gift, you want to give back, don't you? I'll just say it this way. He gave his life for us. He wants us to give our lives back to him. And that's what it's ultimately all about. But in Luke's gospel, chapter two, angels got involved in gift giving. They got involved in the in the Christmas scene. In 211, for unto you is born this day. In the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's back it up to verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Notice I bring you. I'm giving you something. No, I don't have a package wrapped up with a bow. I don't have a material gift to give to you, but I have something to announce to you. I bring to you this gift, an announcement of something that has taken place this night. And so the angel of the Lord brought the gift of an announcement and a song. He brought song to their heart and says, For unto you is born this day... In the city of David, 
a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. He gave them the gift of direction, enabling them to discover where exactly the, the Savior was. And suddenly then, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, and they brought their love gifts also. They got involved in this atmosphere and attitude of gift giving. And what did they do? They brought this heavenly host of angels, brought praises, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Can you imagine that scene at that moment, being there? When all these, after the announcement was made by the angel of the Lord, that all of a sudden these angels are gathered around these shepherds, and all of a sudden they begin to sing and praise. Glory to God in the highest, praising God, saying on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Can you imagine the impact that made upon the hearts of those shepherds watching their flock by night? They brought the gift of great and glorious news. They announced the birth of the Lord. They gave the gift of direction and they gave the gift of song. I'm sure it pleased the hearts and also the ears of the shepherds. Because I don't really think you've ever heard anything like heavenly singing of angels. Perfect harmony. Sometimes, wouldn't you just love to get a glimpse, a little bit of insight as to some of those things that are in the spirit realm? Hear them blending their voices together with such harmonious praise. But it was a gift that was brought to them. And that ultimate gift of direction that took them right to the Savior. It doesn't stop with angels either, beloved. There's a whole lot more. Suffice it to say that Christmas is a whole lot more than what our society has reduced it to. A whole lot more. It's giving the gift of self and of life. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.